0: Several months ago when uh, John called me and asked me if I would be willing to come and fill in, and it's a long story behind that uh, uh, because uh, it was uh, supposed to be back in May, I believe it was, and then Neil's date changed. And, but anyway, when John called me and asked me if I'd come and, and speak today, it took me about half a nanosecond to say Yes. Mary and I love this church. We loved our time here. We miss it very, very much. And uh, there's some things about uh, Bowling Green that we wish we could have taken with us, but just couldn't happen. And uh, to be quite frank about it, the the deciding factor I'm going to tell you now, the deciding factor between us staying in Bowling Green when we retired and moving to Tennessee, was grandkids. What can I say? So. Uh, was grandkids enough about that we could talk all afternoon about remembrances and things that we think are good and well and it's good to see a good crowd here this morning if you got your bible open it to the book of ephesians we're going to be looking at several passages in the book of ephesians as we think about the church being the fullness of him that fills all in all isn't it great when a plan comes together Now, to be honest with you, for me, it doesn't happen all as often as I would like for it to. But isn't it great when a plan comes together? I remember when uh, we moved here and and I wanted to build a shop out behind my house. And uh, I I drew it up and took it to the, uh, got a permit, did everything. and, And boy, the plan just came together. Some folks came and helped me. We got that thing done. It was great. It's wonderful when a plan comes together. Before Jesus ascended into heaven... He commissioned the apostles to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 15, and 16. Matthew chapter 28, the record says, Go 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 therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There was... A divine expectation. Alright, there was the divine expectation that people would respond when the apostles did what Jesus commissioned them to do. And so God anticipating that sent the apostles out and he made provision for what would happen after people did respond. 3,000 people did respond on the day of Pentecost. We're all familiar with that. And we take note of Luke's comment on that when he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 that that things were going well and 3,000 souls were added to them that day or added to the church that day. And we recognize that this was on Pentecost and we recognize this as being the birthday of the church. That word church, very powerful word curse hundred and seven times in the new testament paul had a lot to say about the church particularly in the book of ephesians and if you've got your bible open we'll be looking at several of those here in ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 to 23 we see that the and i barely can see that thing up there somebody got a pair of binoculars <laughs> in ephesians 1 verses 19 to 23 we read the following and what is the exceeding greatness of His power, whose power? God's power, toward us who believe, that's the Christians, that's the church, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is His not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him that fills in all in all. all. This church, this body, this group of people. Those who respond to the message preach when the great commission is fulfilled. This church is the result, notice the words here. Of the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Have you ever contemplated the power of God? He created the universe. He spoke, it came into existence. His will is done. Nobody, nobody mocks the eternal God. But by His eternal power, He's exceeding the great power and the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and created this group of people, the church, that was by the p- power and the working of God. Secondly, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we see that this was by the manifold wisdom of God to the intent that now verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was by the eternal purpose according to the eternal purpose according to the manifold wisdom of God. you know, in my lifetime, I've met some smart folks. But you know, I've never met anybody as wise as God. And by the manifold wisdom of God, this group of people, this body came into existence, this church, in fulfillment of His purposes. Thirdly... It was by and through the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God, chapter two verses four through ten, but God, who is rich in his mercy, or, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, us who the, the church, this is written to the church in Ephesus, loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It was through the mercy and the kindness and the grace and the love of God that this, this group of people that would respond to the preaching became the church. Then finally along this line immediately, is through the church that God will be glorified forever. And my clicker is not working here. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The glory of God in this world today is going to be shown by that body of believers, the church. Now that's just four things that Paul says about the church in the book of Ephesians. But there's much more taught about the church in the New Testament. In addition to this we learn, we learn Ephesians uh, 1 and verse 23, 19 to 23, which was read to you a few moments ago. What is the exceeding greatness of his power talking about that, which was wrought when he set Christ in the heavenly places? and notice verse 22 and 23, and put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. We also see in Ephesians I'm sorry, I read the wrong passage. Ephesians 5:23, I'm sorry, it is this body that Jesus is going to save. You know, we we often have discussions with people. And this passage tells us there's only one group of people God is going to save. God's not going to save everybody. That's a pleasant thought, that everybody will go to heaven. But it's not a biblical thought. The group of people that God is going to save is the church. Look at Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. What's the body? The body is the church, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Along this line, it is also the domain, the kingdom of God. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, there in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, as the old King James says, at the headwaters of the Jordan River, Jesus asked Peter and the others, Who do men say I am? Peter said, well, or they they responded, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elias or one of the prophets. Then he said, well, what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And you remember Jesus' response, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but our Father which is in heaven, and upon this rock, not the rock of Peter, but the rock of the confession he made, that Jesus is the Son of God, catch it now, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It is Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' domain. It's where Jesus rules. Likewise, in Ephesians 1, 20 and 23, which we read three times already, it tells us that Jesus is made the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, and I'm all messed up here. is first corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 i'm sorry guys i'm used to having it in a nice big screen right up here should have turned the monitor on here uh, it is by this church it is god's temple in the indwelling of the holy spirit first corinthians 3 verse 17 the church is the temple of god where, where does god dwell today where does he live Let me digress just a moment here. People get the wrong idea when they think about a temple, especially the temple of the Old Testament. The temple in the Old Testament was not particularly a place of worship. Yes, they came to offer sacrifices there. But the primary purpose of the temple, go back and read in in 1 Kings when Solomon built the temple and had this dedication and had this prayer, and God responded to that prayer, and he said... This is where I will live. This is where I will live. And so if you wanted to come into the presence of God back in the Old Testament days, you went to the temple. Now granted, you could go there and talk to a priest. You could go there and you could offer sacrifices. And I challenged people. Find in the Bible. Find in the Bible where people were commanded to go to the temple to worship. I don't think it's there. Nobody's ever brought it to me. The temple was not particularly a place to worship. It was the place where God dwelt. And so now he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it is the church where God now dwells. We are the temple of God, both individually and as a group. What a profound thought that is. It is also the means by which... Men are reconciled to God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 to 17. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through 17. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, the old law, the Ten Commandments, yes, the Ten Commandments, that is, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off to those who are near. For through him, we both have access by the Spirit to the Father. We are reconciled to God. The opposite idea of being reconciled is being alienated. You know, you get, uh, you get a husband and wife. And they get to fussing and they separate. They are estranged. They are alienated. They go see a marriage counselor and they are reconciled. They're brought back together. It is in this body that we are reconciled, that we're brought together with God. Finally, along this line, it is through this group of people that God's work of evangelizing the nations is to be done. We quoted a Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who's, that's Mark 16. He who is baptized shall be saved. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Teaching and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, in spite of all of that, in spite of all of that which the Bible says, all these things that happen through and in the church... And all the wisdom and all the power and all the things that happen through and in the church, there are still people in this religious world and in the world around us that say the church isn't important. Isn't that amazing? My response to that is, We you hadn't read the book of Ephesians, people still say that the church is not important. And they say it this way, Well, I am spiritual, but not religious. And when you hear that saying, what that means is, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't have any any, any, uh, time for organized religion. I don't have any time for the church. You keep the church, I'll just be a Christian. They are, in in effect, rejecting an integral part of that plan. We said, isn't it great when a plan comes together? You know, God's plan came together in the church. We'll see how that worked out in just a few moments. But they are, in effect, rejecting an integral part of the church. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23 for just a moment. And I want to read it again. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Which he worked in Christ, Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand. In the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and everything in his name not only in this age but also in that which is to come and put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over the church which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now generally when we look at that passage, we see two things. We see that We see that the church is his body. And he is the head of that body. The head of that body. Using that gr- a great analogy here, you know your body does not live, it doesn't function, can't, can't live, can't function without your head. And the body of Christ can't function without its head. Your head controls your body. So it, it should be in the church. What a powerful analogy that Paul uses here. And we generally center in on the idea that Jesus is the head of the church and the church is his body. And both are concepts worthy of a study of their own. That the church is the body and that he is the head. But I want you to look, and we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this. I want you to look at that last phrase. The church is the fullness of him that fills all in all. And you know, be quite frank about it, I've been preaching a long time even here before the power and the meaning of that phrase struck me the fullness of him that fills all in all that word fullness occurs 13 times in the bible 12 of them are in paul's letters i think that's worthy of note four of those uses are in the book of ephesians one of them here what does that word mean fullness what does it mean well the lexicons tell us that it means mature complete full to make full but let me illustrate give me four illustrations here what that word means is ladies when you go out and you got this new dress and you're looking for that pair of shoes that's just going to set that outfit off and i mean you try on 15 pair don't they guys And you finally find that pair that just makes that outfit complete, makes it full. The shoes don't stand out by themselves, but they make the whole outfit full, complete. Guys, it's that paint job on your classic car that just makes it jump out down in columbia tennessee you know these guys that are on uh... uh... uh american pickers the tall guy he's got a place down in that in columbia and every third saturday they have cars and coffee and a hundred people come with their classic cars and park them there and you go walking through now those of you that know anything about classic cars know rat rods don't turn me on but something like that with a beautiful paint job And that paint job just sets it off. It makes it complete. That's what that word fullness means. Or it may be that Christmas time. You know, you're looking for the perfect topper for your tree. Mary and I have gone to Gatlinburg, and looked around for a topper to replace one that we had when we first married. It was a Santa Claus that you could put a a bulb in the back and light the Santa Claus up and the first year our first Christmas together we we were poor and all of our Christmas decorations were gathered here and there and everywhere and so I said boy it would be great to have a flashing bulb in there so I scratched through all that stuff we had and I found a flashing bulb the only problem was it was green (laughs) so I don't know how many years we had a flashing green Santa Claus on the top of our tree well, we decided after a while. I think the bulb burned out and the ornament came apart. And so we decided we'd buy a new topper for our tree. You know, we w- we went to Gatlinburg, walked through that Christmas, couldn't find one. But if we had found one, it would be the topper that would just just make that tree complete. My favorite example, and some of y'all have heard this before. My favorite example is the hot fudge sundae, and the cherry on top. You know, I like hot fudge sundaes. You like hot fudge sundaes. Is there anybody here that doesn't like hot fudge sundaes? But you know, it's the cherry on the top that makes it complete, makes it full. And I dare say, as I've used that illustration before, if you went to a steak and shake and you ordered a hot fudge sundae and they brought one out without a lot of cherry on it, you'd send it back. Where's my cherry? That's fullness. That's what Paul is saying here. Now let's break that thing apart. Let's break that statement apart. What is Paul actually saying? When he says the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. What he's actually saying is that Jesus' purpose, the purpose for which Jesus came to this earth, was not complete until the church was established. He is telling us that his work was not finished. Now I know Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What was finished on the cross? What Jesus could do, what God could do to save man was finished on the cross. There was nothing more that we could expect heaven to do to save mankind. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, his work was not complete until the church was established. It was not full until the church came into existence. Until such time as the day of Pentecost and the gospel was preached in its fullness and people responded to it, and Peter made the promise repent and be baptized for remission of sins, and you shall receive the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. And the church was established. It was all theory. It was just all theory. When that happened, the plan came together and it became real. And in such a way, it's real for us today. It is the church that completes God's plan on earth. It became practical, it became concrete, if you will. It became real. When the church was established. What a profound thought. Now that's not to diminish Jesus in any way, but in fact it's to glorify Jesus. Because that's what Paul does in the book of Ephesians. I remember one time the Tom Holland stood in this very pulpit and talked about what Paul says in the book of Ephesians about the church and how it glorifies the church, and then contrast that with Colossians, where Paul glorifies the Christ. And he said, they go together. They don't stand opposite one another. They go together. Indeed, the church is an integral part of God's eternal purpose. It's an integral part of God's plan to save mankind. It's an integral part of your getting to heaven today. It's his plan to save man. What group of people is Jesus going to save Remember Ephesians one twenty three. If you want to argue with that point, go back and underline that and read it every day for the next ten days. Because it tells you that Jesus is going to save that body, which is his church. It is an integral part of God's plan to reconcile man, to facilitate man's spiritual growth, to res- facilitate the evangelization of the nations. Remember that those who were baptized on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 were added to the church, to them, to the disciples, and so on daily through the book of Acts. So the question comes this morning. Have you been added to that church? Have you been added to that church? How do you do that? Acts 2 tells us right there. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We pull scriptures together to illustrate the totality, if you will. Faith, repentance, baptism, faithful living. But all of that rotates around and is facilitated through his body, the fullness of him that adds all, uh, fills all in all. If you've not been added to that body, what a great time it would be. To do that this very day, all things are ready. I know they are. If you need to respond to be added to that body, to join this group of people who are fulfilling God's purpose on earth in this community, that opportunity is yours. If you're a Christian and you're part of that body, but you've drifted away and you need to come back and have prayer and be restored to fellowship, that opportunity is yours as well. If that be your need, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing this good song?